Welcome to it, the Triple Play Podcast back with you. We're into February. Jabba Chamberlain, standout Husker and longtime Major League Baseball player and Yes, World Series champs two times over. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. Fellas, we're uh, about a month away from Major League Baseball and Husker Baseball. Jabba gets rocking here middle of this month. How are we all feeling? Good. I mean, just uh, based upon everything that um, that I've seen via social media and then, you know, being down in Nebraska last weekend and, and seeing the players and, and talking to a few of them, it feels like, you know, with – with you know Rob taking over as pitching coach and and obviously that relationship that he has with Will, I, I think you know some of the talent, the, the young talent that we brought in and the arms especially, you know are going to be huge contributors very very early and uh, you know it's exciting to see the direction of what the program's going to be and and how they've uh, and how they've kind of navigated this whole thing and um, you know with you know, some of the local guys switching positions and, you know, being being a part of the program. And, you know, it's always always exciting when you get kids that you, you've watched grow up, play, and, and now you, you get to see them evolve at the next level is always is always pretty cool. Well, it's, it's pretty wild that, that we're February 1st and it's actually baseball weather outside here in Lincoln, Nebraska. 60 degrees, <laughs> I think the Husker team is scrimmaging outside. I uh, I got my, my winter beard going because I know with umpiring starting soon, got to look professional, got to get the beard shaven. So I'm, I'm getting it at least uh, growing out a little bit now. If I can get it to look professional, maybe I can keep it for the season. If not, I'll have to, to send it by the wayside. But it is just starting to feel like baseball weather, baseball time. And usually to me that happens directly following the Super Bowl. As soon as the Super Bowl happens, it's uh, baseball season. We still got about a week and a half there, but nonetheless, this, uh, this Nebraska weather is uh, it's smiling upon us today. We got baseball weather outside. Jabba and uh, Elijah, one thing when we look at this Husker baseball team for 2024, it's going to be depth that that rules the day, pitching depth, and we'll get into some of the the rotation you, you think could be. Uh, fruitful Jabba, but also you're going from a personality standpoint. You had a lot of star power a year ago. You had draft picks. You had offensive talent, but you didn't have the midweek consistency on the hill. Uh, And what's that like? Because you've been on both. You've been on teams that are star-studded, and chemistry-wise, if it works, great. (laughs) And you've been on teams where – all right, there's not as much star power on both levels, college and pro. I think it, it's you can never take a game off, and obviously midweek games aren't you know necessarily your biggest ones, but I think they're very important in in the development of having. I mean, our midweek guy was Brian Dunsing. He spent ten years in the big leagues, and <laughs> you know it was it was a different situation, but I think. Therein lies kind of the the lackluster midweek record that we had last year, and you know how that creates momentum going into a weekend, and how that can you know kickstart you know somebody and get them going, and then they can be a huge contributor in in more ways than one. So I think that midweek is is just as important because you know it's it's those times where you have somebody step up 
and they get an opportunity and it just builds their confidence and it builds their role in in the program and, and, and on the team for success. And I just think it needs to be a better midweek record because we saw what it was last year and it wasn't great. And I, and I think that's a huge part of it, of creating momentum going into some of those big series that we're obviously going to have over the weekend. And I, I think there's just the depth that has been created, I think, is going to give us that opportunity to, you know, and, and if you don't take your chance, you, you might not get another one just because with the depth that we have now. And I think that's a, it's a huge thing where, you, you know, you challenge some of these guys and be like, hey, you, you know what? If you not, then next in line, here we go. And, and I think that's a huge part. It's interesting, Java, with the, the struggles that the, the pitching staff had last year. I mean, especially those midweek games when it was kind of a, a, a bullpen start, just uh, guys going inning and a half, two innings. It's interesting now to see seven freshman pitchers going to be battling for some opportunities to get some midweek, fresh, or some midweek time with uh, five righties and, and two lefties come in as true freshmen. You know they're going to be hungry for some time, and you know – that uh, that's going to be hotly contested between those guys potentially for some some midweek appearances. Yeah, I think and, and competition is great valued in your in your program because it means you you've done your due diligence and and you've recruited the right kids and you know and they're and they're from all over. You got Colorado, Nebraska. You I mean you just have an opportunity to continue to be and have that competitive nature because when one dude does well, it's contagious. And I, I feel pitching is, is that because you don't like, Oh, you know, he went and shoved on Tuesday. Like I got to shove on Friday and you know, it's just, it's, it's very contagious. And I, I think with the, the competitive nature that they're bringing in, I think it is, it's an absolute, just a great value of, knowing each other because it it, do, it doesn't only carry on the field, but it's like they're in the weight room and it's like, oh, well, he's going to get a shot. So am I. And, you know, you challenge yourselves not only in the capacity of on the field, but everywhere else. And I think that just builds and grows a strong foundation for a complete team and a, and, and a successful team. Elijah, you nailed some of the, the young arms that are going to be options and, and you have – uh, some some matchup opportunities. Jabba, talk to me about Coach Childress with this pitching staff and how he'll incorporate responsibility, role, but also get them comfortable, uh, even if they're asked to do things on a bigger stage as freshmen. Uh, I think his his communication is is great. He is somebody that I hold in the highest regard in, in my career and making me have the opportunities that I did, even though he left me after my first year to go to AM ass. Um how'd that how'd that chat go, by the way? Yeah, did he, he just left and then he left me with Dave Bingham and he stunk. Um but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. I, I still don't hold a grudge. Um, Doesn't sound like it. No. <laughs> sure there's Christmas cards exchanged between you and the Bigham household. <laughs> I think what he – he's the best at bringing out the best of what you are. Um, we never really focused a lot on 
I guess if you want to call it the X and the O's, he, he he's such a mentality guy and like and compete and have a purpose. And you know, we would we would work on mechanics every once in a while when it get complete out of whack, but he was like, if you don't go out and compete, I don't want you. Mm-hmm. And what I love too is his check-ins. Like, you know, the one one count was always huge. Obviously, first pitch strikes the one, one count and we'd always have a 10 game check-in so we could see where we were at. And we were second in a country in pitching. And like I said, I only had one year, but I've, I've had a lot of buddies that were at A&M that have played for him. And, you know, just, he holds everybody accountable to, to their actions, to, to what is deemed to be upheld by him in the program and the university. And, he stands by that. I mean, there's some epic stories that I've heard at A&M and, you know, there, there are some things that I won't even say on this podcast that he said to some people when we were in fall baseball, but he just is the first person to tell you something's wrong, but he's also the first person to put his arm around you and tell you why, because he believes in you and, he just he brings the best out of people. I mean, it was crazy. My son was just there with him on Sunday, and it felt like I was watching myself twenty years ago. <laughs> and the things that he said and his mannerisms, and you know, Cart always gives him a hard time that I would I sucked and I wasn't very good. And Rob like puts him in his place, and so it's always funny just to look at him and smile and be like, "I told you, like <laughs> you know, you're trying to talk trash on me, sucker." Nope. I got somebody to back me. So <laughs> I just think that personality and I, I wouldn't say he's getting softer as he's gotten older, but y- you can tell there's a different temperament than, you know, 20 years ago when I was here and, you know, how things have changed. But I don't, I feel like he's such a great pitching mind and he's so detail oriented and he he's such a right fit and not saying Jeff wasn't Mm -hmm. but I think Rob just in his pedigree and they I mean they've all worked under Rob and they they've kind of all learned from him so I think that's a huge part and him being back in that position here I think holds value to him as well because that was a huge part of you know, his career and, and what he did here. So I'm looking forward to it. I think that the, the arms that we've brought in and, and the talent that we have overall, we're going to have to replace some guys, you know, that, that, that hit. But I think with, with the depth that we have and, and, and the pitching, I think that's, that's going to be a huge, huge factor. Java, one of the things you hear about a lot of, of high level coaches and you hear it from the Husker football coaching staff is about maintaining the standard. It's not about maintaining a, a player's individual standard. It's not, oh, well, it's a midweek game, so this is our standard for tonight. It's about upholding a high standard and keeping that consistent across everybody. You kind of touched on it with with, with Rob and, and his standard. Specifically, what do you think that standard, I guess, was for you, and what is it going to be for this Husker baseball team, this Husker pitching staff when you look at the 2024 season? What is, quote-unquote, the standard? I think it's consistency, accountability, and competing. Because if you put those together, success is going to happen. 
Because there's going to be days where you don't have your best stuff. And if you go out there and you're soft and you don't compete, it's just it's it's going to magnify how bad your outing is going to be. But you can go out there and, and not feel the best and be like, I had a horse shit bullpen before, you know, coming out. But if you go compete and, and you give it all you got, then sometimes that's more than enough. And, and sometimes when you feel the best and you have a great bullpen, you go out and then next thing you know, you've given up four in the first and you're like, well, I felt amazing. So I think those three aspects, and I, and I think Rob will hold those three near and dear, and he'll get the most out of those guys and, and pull, what, pull what strings of those components make them the best and, and become a leader and you know, and, and you may you may not pitch as much, but you might be that vocal leader. You might be that one that leads, you know, by action. And you're that. And I, I think he just is going to do a great job of that for as long as a pitching staff and and I think as a whole, the coaching staff and what they stand for um will do the same as a team. And I and obviously there's some holes to fill and we all know that, but I think they have the right fits to be able to fill them and even achieve more than, than what they have in the past. Jabba Chamberlain and Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, Triple Play Podcast with Herd at Sports. You can find us on YouTube. Subscribe, Triple Play Podcast, The Trip Play Pod on Twitter. It's where you can find the show that way. Spotify and iTunes, where you can download a little bit of a preview for Nebraska baseball. We're focusing on some of the arms and thoughts on Coach Rob Childress um, taking over as a pitching coach. And uh, Jabba, when we talk about rotation, a lot of eyes on and uh, th- this pitching staff, a lot of eyes on Drew Christo, homegrown product. What kind of year can, can Drew have? I know a, a lot of hopes for him now into his junior season, all sorts of talent. What kind of jump can he make and what's uh, what's fair? And if you had to peg a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, way early, I know, uh, let's let's go there. But is it fair to look at Christo as that Friday night guy possibly? He's in there. I mean, coming off the summer that he had and, you know, it was for me trying, you know, obviously following it in the summer is a little bit more difficult than spring, but it felt like, he was more consistent in the, in the summer and maybe found something. Um, but just understanding the conference, understanding his ability and, and, and maturing. I mean, let's just be honest. It's, you know, you, you come into it with obviously the pedigree that he had. I mean, obviously we all know his last name and the talent that he does have in his frame and, you know, he just he's matured. He's gotten physically stronger. He's gotten mentally stronger. Uh, I think he's a very, very strong prospect to to be a Friday Saturday and and to be a Friday night guy is is it's something that you hold in high regard, just because of of it sets a tone for the weekend. I mean, and we all in. In college baseball, to be the Friday night guy is is to say you're that dude. And, 
you know, you've got to kind of have a chip on your shoulder too to continue to prove that and go out every time and and focus on getting better and being that leader and holding yourself accountable to the fact that like, okay, if I had a shitty start, well, that's a bad start to the to the to the series. So I think he's got a great chance and in, in the maturity that he's shown and the opportunities that he's got. And it, it it's something that he understands. And I think with, you know, the summer and coming into it and the maturity and everything that he's done, I, I think he it's it, he's going to be very, very set up to, I wouldn't say lose it, but to win it. Mm-hmm. Java, can you take me back to your, your college years? What did your summer work look like? What, what, what were you able to get accomplished and what kind of development were you able to make during those summer months? Well, I mean, it depends on what summer. I mean, I went back and worked for the city of Lincoln working on baseball fields and then would play Legion baseball on the other side. I got heat stroke twice that summer. That was never fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't good. Um, wait, wait. So you were, like, going and in, in mowing fields? Oh, yeah. Yep, during during the day, and then I would go – I would go – I would literally mow Sherman – and then I would literally go home, change, and then I'd go back to Sherman and play. So did you? So, yeah. Did you like sculpt the fields at all to to ensure your own dominance that night? Did you, <laughs> were you were you carving those baselines to make sure bunts were going foul? What were you doing? No, definitely didn't shape them. I, I didn't. I didn't have to do all of that. I mean, I, and I wasn't smart enough to know. I was seventeen years old. Like I didn't. I didn't know. Um, but I think the development is like when I went and played in Beatrice for the Bruins and, you know, we had, you know, guys from Texas and all over. And I think it's just, you get a different, a different sense of like competition. And it's, I wouldn't say it's, it, it, this is going to sound very selfish, but I, I hope it's not portrayed that way. But when you're at Nebraska, you're playing for Nebraska. When you're at the summer, you're playing for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because there's, I mean, everybody from w- not one conglomerate. And and not to say that that's not the, like, Nebraska is Nebraska. But you got people from all over the place. But you're playing for a university. You're playing for one goal. And I think the summers is more of a development aspect and in, in playing in different places, you know, if you get the opportunity to play in, in the Cape, like obviously you're playing against the best talent in, and then there's the NBCL that's, that's in the Northeast as well. Then you got the Northwoods and you have so many leagues where you, you know, it's, it's different, different tiers of what it is. And so it's like, you go and you play in the Cape. It's like, if I ball out here against these guys, it's not like you're playing for Yarmouth or you're playing for that team. You're playing to show out is what you're doing. And I think that's sometimes where guys grow is because now you don't feel like, I guess a weight is kind of lifted because now you go put in the work and you go show out for yourself. And then that can bump you up. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing of the summer. I mean, it sounds very selfish to say, but in the terms of, of hopefully how I described it, 
people will understand that's not it's not selfishly selfish it is just like it's not such a program driven aspect of of your career some names to look at from the juco ranks jabba you have josh overbeek third base uh, in from juco tyler stone at first base riley silva in center field so uh in the era of of the portal uh, Nebraska going JUCO, and Nebraska's had a ton of success historically with some of the JUCO prospects they brought in going back to, to the Van Horn era, of course, and it's uh, it's worked out well. Uh, can these three guys uh, make an impact? I know they're, they're supposed to with kind of their pedigree coming in. Yeah, I think junior college has is, is, is changed a little bit since I experienced it. I mean, I, I – went to all the ones and, and now experiencing it with my son as well. Um, it, it's more, it was one of those ones where you went to junior college. Like I felt like when I was playing was you didn't have enough grades. You didn't have this. Now it's, I mean, it's almost the opportunity to continue and play right away instead. I mean, it's, it's sexy to say I'm going to a power five or a D one, but it's not sexy sitting on the bench like that don't look good. And so now you've got, you know, places, you know, like Hutch and Iowa Western and, you know, those places around here that are, that are great junior colleges. I mean, even Northeast out of, out of Norfolk with, with Marcus Clapp and what he's doing. Um, I think it's, it's completely changed. And I think they play the competition that, that goes on to the next level. And I think those three, are are going to be huge impacts because you can come in and they can help immediately. And they, you know, obviously been in situations and in big games from where they came from. And, and I think, you know, they, they can have an immediate impact because you do have that. And then, and sometimes it, I will say sometimes it does suck. I mean, cause you have the transfer portal and you have these kids that shit spending the one kid is in his ninth year in football. Like, some of these freshmen that are, are, are good enough, they're not getting a chance immediately. And then, and I know that's the nature of the beast and I get it, but you know, that's just where, you know, the transfer portal and the junior college aspect comes in where I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to go the junior college route because you're going to have a chance to play right away. And I, I think that's the dynamic that, especially those three coming in that have because they played right away. They didn't sit on the bench and, you know, they didn't transfer for somewhere and they weren't playing. And so I think when you look at that component of them adding value, I I think it's, it's a great value in the fact that, you know, they can be an immediate impact. Jabba, I want one last thought here on Husker Baseball before we move on to some MLB thoughts. I know the Orioles have been sold, and we'd like to, to get to that. I have some Orioles fans uh, who are, are friends of mine who are quite excited by that news. Uh, but with, with Husker Baseball here, they get it going in, I believe, uh, pretty much two weeks. Uh, they're heading down to Texas, playing at Globe Life Field against uh, a couple of Big 12 schools. They're on the road in Arizona. They're on the road in South Carolina. It's a while before you get a homestand here in Lincoln at Haymarket Park as you have to wait the weather uh, presumably warming up by the time March rolls around. Take me through that, that, that difficulty 
in being on the road for your first month of the season, having to go down south to get games in. It's almost like a, a spring training for this Husker baseball team, but the games actually matter. The games actually count, and uh, they're going to be either held in your regard or, or against you once uh, selection time comes for the NCAA tournament. Take me through that, that first month of the road, or first month of the season being on the road and, and the difficulty that that poses. Yeah, I mean, you know, going into it, you're you're going to be, you know, two, three weeks on the road at least. And you kind of prepare for it. Like, you're lucky in days like this when you can get a scrimmage outside. And and that's one thing that is 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 tough to replicate when you get outside is seeing the fly balls off the bat. Like, you can do it inside, but there's just nothing like being outside. And, I mean, we – I, I'd never forget it was we were playing Texas opening series when we were still in the Big 12 and Trey Taylor was their Friday night guy and I was warming up and it was like 40, 45, 46 degrees. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is perfect. Like, this is great. No sleeves, no nothing. And he's running over and he's like, dude, can we cancel this game? It is freezing. And I was like, oh, we got him. We got him. We got him. So... I think that's just the mentality, knowing that when you come here, that you are going to head different places for the first few, and that if you you know you get those nice weathers in, in March, and I mean Nebraska, it could be sixty degrees today, it could be snowing tomorrow. I mean that's for people listening. If you don't know Nebraska, it's very bipolar. It can it can change in a matter of five minutes. So it's uh. It kind of, I mean, it wears on you a little bit just because it's like you feel like you're living out of a suitcase. And it's like not not to say I I didn't think about school, but you really you really didn't for the first month just because it's okay, you get home Sunday cuz we're we're not like basketball and volleyball where they're on their own plane and chartering. Like we're driving to Omaha and getting on a regular ass plane. I had to sit next to Brandon Buckman and he was the hottest six foot six dude just leaning on me because we went by last name and he would be sweating and, and doing his Sudokus. And I'm just like, can I, can I, can I switch seats? Like this sucks. Made it tough for you to do your schoolwork, right? Yeah. Needless to say, I wasn't doing schoolwork on the plane. I, <laughs> I, I can tell you that much. Um, so it, 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 it turned out all right, but. Yeah, I just you you kind of go with the flow and obviously you're going to warm places, you know what it is. You're you're playing, you know, tier 1 talent, tier 2 talent. So like you said before, you know, it's it's a huge part of this season where you know, sometimes some of the teams we're playing have been outside since January or when they can legally practice. Mm. And you know, have that. So it's just it's a grind because you know you are I mean we went to Hawaii for a week my sophomore year which was awesome but you know it's still it's still a lot you know the travel and and going over there and playing and you know the the back and forth and and trying to obviously get your school if you don't get your schoolwork done you can't play so I mean that's that's just the way it is so it's just a lot in the first three weeks before you finally get settled into some to some stuff at home and, and, you know, the midweek games and, and just kind of the pattern that is going to, 
you know, play the rest of the of the year out. Two Southeast products that are on the Husker baseball team. Uh, we, we like to talk about Lincoln kids that, that make it to, to the U. Will Jeske and, and Max Butenbeck, uh, uh know both kids and excited for them. And, and, of course, Will switching to catcher. And Max recruited really early in his high school career by uh, Coach Will Bolt uh, to be, you know, uh, the, the catcher for Nebraska. So, uh, thoughts on their transition? Both of them are athletic. They're they're tough. They can swing the stick and um, should be pretty interesting. And uh, are you surprised Will moved to catcher? Yeah, I mean, I literally, we just I just saw him on Sunday when we were there, and you know, he started you know asking questions of you know how many catchers do you travel? You know, they moved me to catcher and and Max and. You know, we were, we were kind of just the aspect of how Rob has impacted him as a catcher and what he's taught him. And, you know, that's that's one thing that I think is really important that I didn't really touch on with Rob was, you know, how it's not only the pitchers, but it's it's that relationship that you have. And, I mean, that's why the guy he replaced was, was my catcher and, and was toolage under him and then, you know, became a pitching coach. But, yeah, he just – I mean, Will's such a good kid, very disciplined. I mean, just an absolute stud. Uh, a sweetheart of a kid. Um, his lower half is built like he's 30 years old. I mean, he's – his legs are, are pretty impressive. Um, and I think he's built for it. You know, obviously the outfield got a little packed, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's part of the reason. And his frame is is – Built to be a catcher. I mean, obviously not super tall, but just a smart, athletic, big kid that can, you know, understand the game and, you know, obviously welcoming to, to something new that he's he's never done. And I, I think, you know, you always like to see those kids, you know, succeed and, and, and be a part of something special. So I'm excited to see him. You know, it was awesome seeing them in the red, white and, and do the things that they did and, and everything that they have going forward. So, you know, super excited for those guys. And obviously there's some Lincoln kids coming up in the future that are going to play there, too. And, uh, you know, excited about that as well. Java Chamberlain, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, Triple Play Podcast with Herd at Sports. Some thoughts on Nebraska baseball we'll revisit next episode. And uh, also, uh, can find and subscribe to us. Triple Play Pod uh, is where you log on and type in for the YouTube version, uh, Spotify and iTunes for the audio download, where we get your podcasts at. And then uh, follow us on Twitter at the Trip Play Pod. So uh, do that and uh, be a part of it as we gear up for another Husker baseball season. On to Major League Baseball. Three names. Three phone calls, three to the Hall of Fame for 2024. Adrian Beltre, uh, of course, uh, Todd Helton, and Mr. Joe Maurer, uh, winning batting titles up in Minneapolis. Jabba, you played with and against a number of these guys. Uh, I know, Elijah, growing up, you were a, a Rockies fan, and I love watching Helton do his thing. He Even was, more so, I was a Helton fan. Helton was great, and he, <laughs> and he also kept Peyton Manning out of the starting job at Tennessee, uh, just briefly. And then Joe Maurer was great. Beltre, I know, played for a lot of teams, but that guy just mashed Jabba. We'll start off with uh, with Beltre and 
uh, his numbers speak for themselves, and, and he gets in. He gets in uh, his first shot. That's one. That's one dude I wish I would have played with. He he was so fun in the way he played the game and the way he just went about it. Like he just he just had fun like sitting in the opposing dugout and listening to the stuff he would say at third base, like there'd be a pitch and he'd be like, Hey, and I'm like, and then we would all yell back. Like he just, you know, and you see the relationship that he had with his teammates. And I, I can't wait for his induction when somebody tries to mess with his head. Cause you know, it's going to happen. You, you know, it's going to happen. And just, I mean, his energy was fantastic. I mean, his one-legged home runs and just the things that he was able to do. And it was it was always fun to watch him throw from third because literally it was in the chest every time. And it was just an absolute pleasure and an honor to share the field with him. And I would have to look at the stats. Um to see, I'm pretty sure I did okay against him. We'll we'll say you you did well. How's that? <laughs> yeah, well, we can double back, but yeah, no, it's let him let him bring up the objection. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But no, it's it's not surprising. Let's just put it that way. Helton, a uh, little bit. Uh... Rocky Mountain high bias. I mean, it's tough for for Rockies players to get in. And and I don't think Todd Hilton got in based on stats and and batting average. I mean, 17 years in the majors, and there's some poetry there with wearing number 17 all his career, getting 17 years in the league. It was the longevity of Hilton. I mean, he doesn't have awards and stats and necessarily jump off the good page, every year but he was good every year a 316 batting average i believe only one season below a 250 batting average across 17 years uh barely missed any time throughout his career uh three-time gold glover five-time all-star uh back to back to back to back silver slugger awards near the beginning of his career it, it was just a career that was was uh the standard of, of longevity for the Rockies. He was going to be in the lineup every single day. You knew as a Rockies fan, you show up to, Coor, you show up to Coors Field, who's going to be playing first base? It's going to be Todd Helton. I mean, it's a guy that I loved watching growing up because he was my childhood watching baseball. From before the time I was born up until pretty much my middle school years, late middle school, I believe he even played my freshman year of high school. Uh, Todd Helton was in the league. It was just a career of longevity and and really set the standard for what a professional is, at least in my book, in the in the game of made professional baseball. Yeah, he was consistent every year. By the way, Adrian Beltre was four for thirteen with a double off me. No out, no on. Right, one of those. I punched him out three times too. So, <laughs> and I didn't walk him. So I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. But no, to to Helton's credit, it was, and I think you're 100 percent right. It he was just the he he was the statue of consistency because you knew you knew what it was. You knew he was going to show up every day, and that was that was what he did. He played a good first base, and I'm glad they didn't do the Larry Walker thing and hold playing in Colorado against him and and not getting what he deserves and 
everything that he's done throughout his career. I was glad that that didn't happen and, you know, where they didn't have to, you know, use that Colorado aspect against him. And, you know, just these, I mean, these, these three, and, and we'll, we'll touch here in a little bit on who like gets no love, but I mean, we've, if we're going to touch on now, let's Joe Maurer and, and it, that was never a fun at bat. No, that's just, just always battling you. Yeah, it was it was not fun. Yeah, I mean, because you know he could take you deep, but that wasn't his game and he never tried to. And obviously his numbers show that. But you're like, he's gonna beat you and he's gonna double you to death. And <laughs> you knew that was gonna happen. And it was just those at bats are so tough because it's like, how do you beat them? Like, how do you go at them and, and do the things that you want to do when you know they're not going to give in because he didn't strike out much and he was an absolute battle at the plate and it it was not fun <laughs> I mean it was fun because you're playing against the best but it wasn't fun because you literally not you you could throw everything in the kitchen sink at him and he's probably going to foul it off or hit a double and it just those those are frustrating he could have been playing quarterback at florida state i mean he could have had an nfl career number one quarterback in the country and i think that's kind of why he's so special to to minnesotans i'm not sure if you talked to a minnesotan about joe mauer but he's a homegrown yeah first player across the four major professional sports leagues nfl nba mlb and nhl to be drafted number one overall by a team uh from his home state to play 15-plus seasons for that team and to reach the Hall of Fame. First player to ever do that across the four professional major sports leagues. That's what Joe Maurer means to Minnesota. He's homegrown. He stuck with the, the Twins through his entire career, 15-plus seasons, and it ends in the Hall of Fame. I mean, go ask any Minnesotan what they think of Joe Maurer, and I guarantee they love the guy. Well, he, and he took did. me deep. Oh, he did? Oh, yeah. <laughs> how do how yep. he do? Are we going to get into the numbers? Um, he hit 429 off me. Don't feel bad. He did that against a lot of people. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame, right? <laughs> well, Job, how did you do against Todd Helton? Do you have those numbers available? Um, I'm yeah. curious to see I because, do. I mean, it was a, a 333 average for Beltre, a 400 plus for Maurer. You got to have held one of them to a below 300, right? Shh. <laughs> right. Well... Computer's frozen. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know what happened. It crashed. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't really remember if I even faced Helton. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. let's get into the snubs. See that that would have been tough for me growing up. Do I root for Jabba or do I root for Todd Helton in that AB? I, I don't think know. You, I think you go Jabba. You want to root for Helton? Shut up. <laughs> like no comment. <laughs> Snubs, Billy Wagner, Gary Sheffield. I loved Sheff, man, as a kid. Remember when he was with the Brewers and then blew up with San Diego? And then, of course, you know, the rings. And I just loved his his pendulum at bat where he just – he was so quick with the at bat. And then your guy, Jabba, Andrew Jones, falling short at 61.6%. Uh, any of these stick out more than another? Did you, did you play with Sheff or no? Played uh, against him. I played with Andrew Jones. Um, played against all all three of them. Yeah. Um, 
Andrew Jones probably, I mean, and Chef's got 500. I'm not on his list because we actually made a bet. And I got to know him really well because he lived in Tampa and we were obviously down there. And so I was I was out enough to get to know him. And I, I just told him he'd never take me deep. And he never did. So I'm not, I'm not on his list. <laughs> but there's a lot of others that are. And I, th- I mean, 500 homers, um, I, I think it's just one of those things. And then you got Andrew Jones with, you know, the way he changed center field with like, you know, him and Griffey and, you know, coming into the league and doing what he did. And I, I think more people focus on the, the, the back end of his career and, and, you know, how just the average wasn't there and, and everything that he did early on in his career. And I, I think for me, the, those two, I think Billy Wagner too. I mean, it's just hard with the amount of saves and, and what he did and how long he did it. Like it's, it's just, I think those three are very deserving. It's, it's so funny when you go and, and you follow you know, certain things on social media. And it's like one year they vote for this person, but they don't vote for the next one. I don't really understand that because it, it your numbers don't change. <laughs> it's not like you magically hit 50 more homers or your batting average went up 20 points. Like it, it never changes. And if you thought he was a hall of famer in one year, how the hell don't you think he's a hall of famer next year? And so that that that's one thing that kind of bugs me about certain certain ballots that people actually post because there's a lot that don't. There's and and I like the fact that they can and and I respect the fact that of the ones that do. And so I think it's just I don't want it to become the Hall of Average. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the Hall of Fame. Like and you know I get certain guys and people's opinions of you know, what it was. But at the end of the day, you still got to go hit. You still got to pitch. You still got to do it. You may feel better than the next guy, and you may you may grow 10 sizes, but you still got to go do it. And obviously I'm not pointing out names, but I'm being specific enough that we know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think in in some of those aspects, guys were Hall of Famers before any of it happened and you know it's you got one that has four thousand hits i mean and he doesn't even need to be spoken about because that, that's that's a no-brainer to me i don't i mean i don't know how it it, it hasn't happened and it, it's kind of you see other people in the hall of fame for you know it, it just it just amazes me that you can get on in your last ballot because you finally got enough votes but your previous, what is it? Is it 12 total or seven? You have to be eligible after, but then you only get, I think it's 12 chances, I think. Then the veterans got to come in if. if... And the veterans committee comes in and it's like, so I wasn't good enough in the first 10, 11, but now, like Lee Smith getting in the veterans, 400, almost 480 saves, like, that was unheard of at the time. Sure. So, and, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a part of the Hall of Fame that kind of bugs me, I guess. And, and the one guy I look at on this list is the guy you laid out, Sheffield. 
you hope the committee comes back years from now and, and, and makes this right because by all statistical measures, and I'm going to steal a line from Buster only here, kind of nailed it, by all statistical measures, other than the voting percentage, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, 300 more walks than strikeouts in his career. Who knows if you'll ever see that? The way baseball's moving, if you'll ever see that again with the guy with, with his numbers, 500-plus home runs, uh, 253 stolen bases. The only thing that is really the stain on his resume is he's in the Mitchell Report, but he was never suspended for performance-enhancing drugs, never failed the test, just named in the report. And that seems to be the thing that's holding him out because by all other measure that you would take to have a Hall of Famer, he should be in. So you hope the committee comes back somewhere down the road and makes this right. He... The thing that, that really got me on the chef wagon was, all right, as a baseball card nut, I remember his rookie card coming out, and, and the dude was miserable in Milwaukee. He hit like 212 or 240, and then he makes the jump to San Diego, and that team, uh, I think it was 93, he got hit by a pitch, and it shattered his left hand. So, I mean, he, w- he was at 33 bombs, going into the all-star break he was he was triple crown threatening right and and you had crime dog at first with that san diego team uh you had of course the great tony gwen i love tony gwen to death and, and they were they were fun to watch and they were exciting they had walk-offs they had dramatic home runs i mean it was it was incredible and you know and then he then he moved on and then of course goes to the marlins and wins his his first ring so i got a lot of smiles about chef just just watching him and he swung out of his ass i mean he swung so hard and so fast and when he connected it was just pretty cool it was really cool uh you hated to play third base i mean because he could short hop you in left field yeah there's if you i'll never forget noticing because he was one of those guys he he was a front foot hitter, which you don't see very much anymore. And you would always, the best was you knew he wasn't, he wasn't bunting. Like uh, <laughs> we knew that wasn't happening. And you would watch the third baseman literally move literally to the grass. Cause it was like you, he would kill you if you were anywhere near where you normally should play. And it was, I mean, there I've seen balls that he's hit literally short hop an outfielder and they like they buckle sure they buckle. it's a missile coming at you and he hits everything with backspin i did get worried one time he did take me to the warning track but he ran by me and i was like oh you got his warning track power i mean it was like after he had 480 homers or something but i got i gotta rub it in and i'm not on his list so Mm. I, i can i can i can take that one i'll take that one Jabba and Elijah, real quick on the Orioles. Uh, you, you've got uh, it's an incremental sale. Uh, you've got the Angelos family deciding to sell, and you've got quite the who's who of the the primary players. You've got the Carlisle Group, the uh, along with David Rubenstein. Uh, but you're going to have input. Into his house, by the way. Okay, sweet. It was fucking gigantic. <laughs> Are we, are we talking uh, Manhattan? Was he out on? Uh, okay, it was Manhattan. You've got. Uh, well, Mike. have you seen David Rubenstein's like resume? I, I have not. It, well, he he co-founded the Carlisle Group, which has three hundred plus billion dollars in investments. 
He's also the chairman of the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, the chairman of the National Gallery of Arts. Is that a lot of boards you're telling me? The chairman of the Council of Foreign Relations, the chairman of the Economic Club of Washington, D.C. He's the former chairman of the Duke University Board of Trustees and the former chairman of the Smithsonian Institute. Also the chair of the University of Chicago's Board of Trustees. He has a net worth of $3.2 billion. How much of that is going to be spent to keep your core talent there because Baltimore's drafted and developed well. They've got a few guys uh, that, that found their way. They're a far cry from that 60-win uh, season just you know a few years back. They're, they're, they're big time. Uh, you've got Cal Ripken Jr. that's a part of this group. You've got Grant Hill that's a part of this group. You've got uh, Mr. Uh, Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York City. Of course, Bloomberg Network is what he founded. So you have major players java do they stay cheaper or do they finally spend some to make some are they going to be a threat with what the yankees spend and of course what the red sox spend i mean i didn't realize you know it, this is the first time in 31 years that they've sold and i i didn't realize it was it was actually that short of a time but i think this with with the group that it is and we've obviously seen kind of what the previous owners have done in in the way they've spent but with the young talent that you got i feel like if they kind of have the braves attitude mm -hmm. and buy them early and keep them long and you, you get them for a little cheaper but you secure them and and they're comfortable and it's a great place to play it's a I, I love I love the stadium. Um, it's it's something that I think is is a point in the right direction because I think it's one of those aspects where it's it's uh, changing of the minds and in the way that because not to say Angeles wasn't great because obviously you don't own a team for 31 years and not know what you're doing, but there's also been some rough ones in there <laughs> and not keeping certain talent. And, and, and now with what they've got, I think the changing of the minds, I think is, is going to be a great dynamic and, you know, keeping those dudes because I mean, I'm, I love Adley Rutschman. I, I think he's an absolute stud and, if I'm signing him for what whatever the hell he comes into the office and says, this is what I want, just because I love his demeanor. I love the one thing that, like, I legitimately thoroughly enjoy because I know how special it is to play this game is when he came out the first time and actually turned around and, like, looked at everything, and then you saw that smile. And that's, like, that's what you play for. And it, the kids got it, and and it's so nice to see when you you have an opportunity to do something you've always dreamed of, and you're really good at it, but to actually step back and be appreciative of the fact of what it is, and I I just think I'm a huge fan of him, and I think I <laughs> I lay I lay it on the table and be like, hey, you tell me, right? Here's a piece of paper. You write me the number. And we'll go from there. So I think it's great. I think they're in, a, in the right direction. Obviously, 
you know, getting to the playoffs this year and and doing the things that they did. But I, I think it's it's a step in the right direction. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I love the young core that they have. And there's a lot of people out there that think $1.725 billion is cheap for a team that's got the, the potential future that this team has. And you have an interesting dynamic. Angelos is going to be stepping back into a senior advisor role. You got a new group with money. I think that's a good way to run a business, not being a business owner, but seeing a lot of businesses run from the outside. It's nice to have that element of the guy with the money who's willing to spend being advised by the guy who's a lot more conservative. You tend to find a, a good middle ground there in terms of being uh, conservative or being liberal with your money. But you look at the pieces that they have. I mean, they have Gunnar Henderson. They have Adley Rushman. I love uh, Kyle Bradish, the pitcher that they have. He's got a couple years of MLB service now. Just the, the pieces that they have, and I, I kind of mentioned earlier in the show, I have some friends who are some Orioles fans. Shout out to my buddy Nick down in Arizona. He loves him some Orioles. I think he caught like 150 of their games last year whenever he got his, uh, his season in review. Um, caught some, I think it was like 150 games, something insane like that. He's super excited for the direction of the team, and I think uh, a new ownership group only elevates what the ceiling of this team can be over the next four to five seasons. Well, we're getting close for pitchers and catchers to report. Getting close to Nebraska baseball. We'll be back with another episode uh, next week on the Triple Play podcast with Herdat Sports. Husker legend, World Series champ, two times over Java Chamberlain, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt. And be sure to subscribe and follow us in Spotify and iTunes where you can get it at the Trip Play Pod. Follow us on Twitter and the Triple Play Podcast. Uh, give us a look on YouTube. We'll dive more into some Nebraska baseball next time and uh, get the latest on uh, Jake Diekman if he lands with the Mets. All that on the way. Thanks for tuning in next time with Triple Play on Herd Ad Sports.